0: Welcome to Ag Vic Talk, keeping you up to date with information from Agriculture Victoria.
1: A bushfire is an extremely stressful event for farmers. Often they are left with damaged or destroyed fencing and infrastructure, burnt pastures and arguably most painful of all, the devastating loss of livestock. G'day, I'm Drew Radford and bushfires are an unfortunate part of living on the land. How, though, can the risk be reduced for livestock? Jeff Cave is Senior Veterinary Officer for the Northern Region of Victoria and he's worked as a vet in regional areas for over 30 years. It's a career that has unfortunately seen him deal with the aftermath of many bushfires. He joins us for this AgVic Talk podcast. Jeff, thanks for your time. No worries. Thank you. Jeff, unfortunately, I imagine you've helped a lot of farmers deal with the effects
0: of bushfires. Ah, uh, well, yeah, unfortunately. And it's the kind of role that we've got is that. Almost most summers in some part of Victoria, there can be a a fairly major bushfire and there have certainly been some that really stand out um, above some of the others. Obviously Black Saturday back in 2009 and then closer to home, the Upper Murray bushfires back in 2020 were a very large event.
1: Jeff, when preparing for a fire, what should people think about with regards to their livestock?
0: Well, I think probably the most important thing of all is to have some sort of fire plan in place so that you're not trying to work out what to do at the actual time that it's happening. And probably one of the key parts of that fire plan is to have a bit of an idea of where some of the safer areas on your property may be where you can move livestock and sort of take into account the type of livestock that you've got, the way that they might behave during a bushfire, and from that work out the safer areas on, on your farm and then also make the decision as to when you're going to move them to those safer areas. So probably the best times to do that are on those high fire danger days and particularly the days of total fire ban. They are the days to be looking at moving your stock into a safer place.
1: So Jeff, in terms of that sort of safer place, what sort of areas should people be thinking of?
0: Well, on every property there are going to be safer areas than others and some of the areas that you could think of as being lower risk, uh, say if you've got a ploughed paddock, so a paddock that doesn't have any vegetation that could burn bared out paddocks as well, particularly if you've got a well-marked firebreak around them and that can be like a ploughed area. One of the things actually that we found during the Upper Murray fires was that if there were any paddocks that had, say, green summer crops, it was really quite noticeable that those became quite safe paddocks because obviously green feed doesn't burn all that easily. And then one of the other considerations could be, say, to use stockyards. But I think it's important to remember that the stockyards need to be also have a a good fire break around them. They need to be well defended and ideally they need to have some sort of sprinkler system in place because I guess one of the natures of a total fire ban day is that often it comes with very hot conditions as well. Another important thing with those low-risk paddocks or low-risk areas is that they've got plenty of drinking water available because it's possible that you'll need to keep the stock in them for some time on a fairly hot day. I reckon on occasions also dams or swamps can also provide another option.
1: Animals are quite intuitive. They're going to try and get away from the flames, I would assume, but... Sometimes people have a gut reaction to open gates. I can imagine that can actually create an even bigger problem.
0: Yeah, potentially. And I guess if you think about what it's like on the time of a bushfire, well, visibility really drops off. There are emergency vehicles moving around and other vehicles doing things that they don't normally do. So having stock out on a road, say, becomes potentially quite a hazard. But one of the experiences that we had with the Upper Murray fires was that A very large proportion of the land up there was burnt. There were, unfortunately, quite a number of stock that were burnt during those fires, but it was also amazing to see how many stock had been able to get by without being burnt. Cattle and horses, in particular, are very good at finding a safe place during a fire um, and sometimes it can be quite surprising how they can get away and not get burnt during a bushfire. So I think it's more important to try and identify safe places within your property, rather than having the temptation of just opening up your gates and letting them go for it, because that could potentially create a larger hazard. And I think most importantly of all, to try and do that before you get to the point of actually having a bushfire approaching, because When a fire is approaching and you're in the process of trying to move stock, that's when things can become really dangerous. And unfortunately, during Black Saturday, there are a number of instances where people unfortunately perished trying to save their stock as a bushfire was approaching. Jeff, a loss of human life
1: is obviously the most tragic outcome of all, so that's great advice to act early. What though if you've put your stock in a safe place, but they still end up with burns from the fire? What do farmers need to consider?
0: Well, unfortunately, and in a lot of cases, there's the need to euthanise those injured livestock, those which are so severely burnt that they're not going to survive and where it would be inhumane to keep them alive. And yeah, there are people like myself and other members of Agriculture Victoria, our animal health and welfare staff, who've got that background experience and training and competency to assist with that process. Unfortunately, what happens sometimes after a bushfire is that access into a fireground can become quite limited. One, because roads tend to become blocked. And also it can be quite unsafe in trying to get through the fire ground to where people like ourselves are needed. And in a situation like that, sometimes it just comes down to having anybody who's available locally, who's proficient with a firearm and is willing to carry out the task for those to relieve the immediate suffering. And certainly that happened quite a bit during the Upper Murray fires when it was some time before we could get into some of the the fire ground that was affected.
1: Jeff, I'd imagine also trying to assess the severity of the burn is, is
0: another issue then. Well, that's right. And that's where I think a little bit of training and experience comes in. I think that when animals have been badly burnt, it's fairly obvious to probably to most people that the animal isn't going to survive and that the most humane thing to do for it is to euthanise it. But then there are also often a fair number of animals that are burnt, but it's not quite as obvious as to what their ultimate fate should be. And that's where veterinary advice needs to come in. And once again, our Agriculture Victoria Animal Health and Welfare staff, are in a good position to do this. Also, your local veterinarian would be in a good position to to do those kinds of stock assessments to give a a good accurate prognosis of what should happen with the animal. One of the things that I've found over the years with dealing with bushfires, and I think the reason for it is that for most property owners, a bushfire is often a, a once in a generational event and so even though people understand their stock really well, they're not always in a great position to estimate what's going to happen to their stock after they've been burnt in a bushfire. And one of the things that I've found consistently is that people may underestimate the severity of the impact that the burns are going to have on the animal. And I think it's probably worth considering the fact that day one after a fire, is probably the best that the animal's going to look for some time after day one there is kind of tissue damage which steadily gets worse there's secondary infection that starts to set in and an animal's condition will always get worse before it gets better after a fire and i think a really good analogy is if you think about burns patients and how long they take to get better in some ways it's similar with animals as well They always get worse before they get better.
1: Well, Jeff, in regards to getting worse before they get better then, so what are some of the lasting impacts
0: in livestock exposed to bushfires? So if the animal hasn't been severely burnt to begin with, I guess you could say some of the more minor burns that can cause a lasting impact are one, damage to their hooves and secondly, damage to their teats. What often happens immediately after a fire is that you've got, say, cattle which have successfully managed to avoid the fire, but then they're forced to walk back onto the fire ground straight after the fire. And when that happens, the ground's still hot, and that can cause damage to their hooves. If it's really hot, it'll damage their hooves so badly to the point that their hooves will shell off, and that happens about a day or so after they get burnt. If it's not quite so bad, the structures of their hooves still get damaged and the lasting impact of that is that the animal will kind of have a chronically weakened, damaged hoof, which never becomes completely right and so the animal is always a little bit unsound. The other lasting impacts that we will sometimes see is that for female animals the tips of their teats can get burnt because as you'd appreciate the tips of the teats of an animal are quite an exposed area and quite a sensitive area and when that happens they'll kind of get over it in the short term but the problem is if the tips of their teats have been burnt it'll either damage their teat, and so they might become more prone to infections, things like mastitis. And the other thing is that um, the teats have got the potential of of sealing over, which means that the animal won't be able to feed its, its offspring. And so then six, nine months down the track, you find that you've got an animal that's not able to feed its offspring. What about
1: nutrition? What do farmers need to be thinking about and planning in terms of making sure there's fodder available post a fire? Because there's obviously not going to
0: be much on the ground, if any. No, that's right. Because um, when a a bushfire goes through, it's almost like an instant drought on their property. And sometimes they won't only lose their pastures, they'll lose their store fodder as well. And as a result of that, there's this kind of need for a source of emergency fodder. Unfortunately... Often in a large fire event, donated fodder becomes available and it's fantastic that um, producers in the non-affected areas are willing to to donate that. I guess one of the problems is that that fodder is not always kind of top quality uh, and sometimes it can come with the problem of bringing in new weeds to a property. I guess some of the ways of pre-planning for that, one is that some producers will try and put their fodder supplies in more than one location, I guess with the idea that if one burns, they go with the hope that the other won't, so that at least they're left with some sort of fodder afterwards. That emergency fodder, it really is only there as a kind of a a short-term thing to help them make decisions of what to do next. And so after a fire's gone through and the producers lost their pastures and possibly lost their stored fodder, they may have to bring in supplementary feeds, they may have to send their animals off for adjustment, or they may need to sell them. And all of those come with their own set of advantages and disadvantages. So I guess if there's a little bit of pre-planning before the emergency event, sometimes that can help in making that difficult decision a little bit easier. In terms of water, Jeff,
1: what do people need to be considering?
0: One important thing is that they need to be sure that their animals have still got access to clean water. And so, ideally, if they've got a gravity-fed system or a diesel-pumped reticulated system, that'll work perfectly, so long as they they, they don't have um, relying on polypipe, because obviously that'll melt. After a fire, infrastructure can be damaged. And so sometimes um, natural water sources like dams can be a good option. Although our experience in the Upper Murray was that dams became contaminated quite quickly with runoff immediately after rain. And so I guess the other thing is that sometimes with the loss of fencing, there's going to be the need to kind of have emergency fencing where the water supply is, or at least have a way of, of pumping water to the locations where the stock are and the stock are fenced in.
1: Jeff. Where can farmers seek support when livestock and property has been affected by fire?
0: Well, I think immediately after a fire, that initial support can either come from groups like Agriculture Victoria's Animal Health and Welfare staff or your local vet. And if you decide to nurse burnt stock, and that can be quite a difficult process, but if that decision's been made, then there's going to be ongoing support To help nurse those burnt stock through after that through the recovery process agriculture victoria can certainly provide advice with things like feed budgeting farm recovery but advice can also come from a a range of other sources the other thing is that outside groups like blaze Aid can also provide support and i don't think that producers should feel bad about accepting their assistance because it will save quite a bit of work having those outside groups helping. Another thing that um, producers have often said is that talking to other farmers who have been through a similar experience themselves before and how they went about their recovery process can be very useful to them because at least then they're talking to somebody who's walked through it in their own shoes. It's somebody who they can relate to. Even though it can be a, a really disastrous event, sometimes, I guess, having a fire go through actually provides an opportunity to relook really at how your farm is designed, how it's set up. Think about where fences should ideally go and where yards should ideally be. It's almost an event that forces those decisions to happen.
1: At the start of our conversation, you talked about the importance of plans. How early should you be implementing these plans?
0: Having a fire plan in place has definitely been demonstrated to be a protective factor, so having one is really quite important and it can help with um, some of the other shocks that can happen to your business, like flood, drought, other emergencies, because other things can happen to your property. So some of the things to try and plan in advance are the resources that you've got in place during a fire event, so adequacy of things like firefighting units, water, backup power, communications. Also having insurance in place will help facilitate recovery after a fire. I guess there's always kind of the temptation to try and do it all with a rush in the fire season, particularly if it's leading up to, say, um, a, a bad week for fires. But if it's possible to try and fit that in with your farm calendar, then you can come into the fire season relatively well prepared without having to do it in a rush. And then, as I mentioned, to begin with, having your bushfire plan, firstly enacting it on those days of high fire danger and total fire ban, and then, secondly, when the worst happens and if a, f- a fire is actually approaching your property. Meat and Livestock Australia have been conducting a study into the bushfire implications for livestock wellbeing and they've been putting together a manual for producers that could be quite a useful resource as well.
1: Dr. Jeff Cave acting senior veterinary officer for northern region for agriculture victoria a wealth of experience knowledge and insight there and thank you for taking the time and sharing that with us on this agvic talk podcast
0: no worries thank you thank you for listening to agvic talk for more episodes in this series find us and follow us wherever you get your podcasts we would love to hear your feedback